Well, like Pastor Dave said, happy Mother's Day to our mothers, our grandmothers here in attendance. Uh, like we mentioned, we have a special message today. We're taking a break from our series, God Inside, series on the Holy Spirit, to just really honor the, the women among us. So we, we have an exciting message for you guys today. Well, we hope it's an exciting message. So uh, it's great to have you here today. You know, recently I came across an article on a website called bestlifeonline.com, and it was about... 50 leading uh, men who describe their ideal woman, their, the woman of their dreams. Not that I really care about what these so-called 50 leading men think about their ideal woman, but I thought I'd share a couple of their responses with you. It kind of gives you an idea of what people value today. And I think it's a little bit different from what we value, but, but let me just give you a few of them. George Clooney you know him as an actor. He said, he said this. He said, the ideal woman, and I'm, and I'm showing you the actual picture that appeared with, with their statement, their comment. The ideal woman is a mixture. She should have Nicole Kidman's laughter, then the personality of Julia Roberts and the aspect of Michelle Pfeiffer, the quintessence of beauty. That's what he thinks is the ideal woman. Here's what Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, said. He said, here's what you've, you've got to do. You've got to be independent and you've got to have a sense of self. You've got to have a great sense of humor. You've got to laugh at my jokes like that's the key. <laughs> Sounds a little narcissistic to me, but that, that's his take. Here's Chris Pine, Captain Kirk. I think anything that any normal man would be looking for, intelligence, beauty, and a sense of humor, you have to be able to carry a conversation after the initial attraction kind of dies down. So if you're normal, if you're normal, then you would, <clears throat> you would value intelligence, beauty, and a sense of humor. And if you're not normal, then I suppose you value some other things. Gerard Butler, another actor and singer, I'm often attracted to tall women with long, dark hair, but there's no particular type as long as she's got long, dark hair, right? <laughs> Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, who is a soccer player, said, I have to say the smile because a smile means beautiful teeth. To say, uh, beautiful te I think it's more important to have beautiful teeth than eyes, in my opinion. Okay, so beautiful teeth. Basketball superstar LeBron James said, any woman that will chill with you while you watch hoops or any sporting events is A number one perfection. And those were his exclamation points. And then finally, Gregory Moss said that the ideal woman is, is, is any woman who will let me serve five days a week. I, 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 did, not, I did not say that, by the way. I said seven days a week. Seven, seven days. <laughs> seven days a week. Okay. So what do you think, right? Who is the ideal woman? Who is the ideal, the woman of your dreams? Well, this, today on this Mother's Day weekend, we want to tell you about the ideal woman. This is going to be kind of interesting, but, but, but don't worry. Guys, your turn is coming because on Father's Day weekend, we're going to be up here and we're going to tell you about the ideal dude. All right, so come back for that. Uh, it's, we're not just picking on the ladies today. No, we're not going to pick on anybody, but believe it or not, Pastor Greg and I actually know something about the ideal woman. We really do. First, because both of us are married to one, and second, because the ideal woman is described for us in the Bible. She's in the Bible. So what you're going to hear today is not our opinion. You don't care about our opinion of the ideal woman. We're going to tell you what the Bible has to say about the ideal woman. And get this, this is really interesting. We're going to tell you what the Bible has to say from a woman's perspective. 
from a woman's point of view. Here's what I mean. If you buy your Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs 31. If you didn't bring your Bible, hopefully in your Baywatch, you received a Baywatch when you walked in. In your Baywatch, there's a sheet there with all the verses listed there for you. Um, on the first side of that sheet is Proverbs 31. And then if you flip on the other side, all the other verses and the fill-ins. Couldn't get them all on one page. But, and then you can also uh, go to our South Bay Community Church app, all right? If you haven't downloaded it yet, go to the Play Store or uh, Google Store, whatever they, you call it, and you can download it. Just look for South Bay Community Church, and all these notes will be listed there for you. But I want to just start with Proverbs 31, verse 1. Just going to read the first verse, and here's what it says. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. Okay? Semicolon. That's, that's all that it says. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. So this tells us that Proverbs 31 was written by King Lemuel. And what he taught, what he said here, what he wrote, were the words that his mother taught him. Now, by the way, the first 29 chapters of Proverbs were written by King Solomon, who was the son of David, who built the temple of God. So the first 29 chapters written by King Solomon, this last chapter, 31, was written by King Lemuel. Now, and according to verse 1, these words were inspired, the words that he wrote here in this chapter were inspired by his Jewish mother. And so Proverbs 31, written by, his, by Lemuel, about the things that his mother taught him about women. All right, so you're getting God's word, from the perspective of a woman, from a mother. So that's what you're going to get today. You're not going to get our opinion. You're going to, you're going to get a mother's perspective of a woman as written or as, as conveyed to King Lemuel. Now, by the way, we don't know, uh, really, we don't know anything about King Lemuel. We don't know who he was a king, where he was a king. We don't know any of those kinds of things. We don't know anything about his reign. All we know is that he had a mother, and, and there was this mother, and she was the mother of a king. We don't know anything about the mother either. But according to Jewish tradition, this is very interesting, according to Jewish tradition, King Lemuel was in fact King Solomon. That was a, just a different name. Now, we don't, no, historians don't know this for sure. That's according to Jewish tradition, and so it's just speculation. But if, this is interesting, if King Lemuel was King Solomon, if they're two of the same individuals, that would mean that King Lemuel's mother, in other words, King Solomon's mother, was Bathsheba. Bathsheba would have been the mother, who had a less than sterling reputation. You might recall that Bathsheba committed adultery with David, and then she conceived out of that affair and gave birth to Solomon. So Bathsheba would have been, was, was the mother to Solomon, and if Lemuel was Solomon, then she would have been the mother to Lemuel as well. And, and if that's the case, if this was Bathsheba, then we can certainly make the case that she is speaking out of her own brokenness and out of her own experience that this is the kind of mother, don't be like me, this is the kind of mother and, and woman that you ought to be. All right, so today's message is titled The Ideal Woman. Before we get started, let me open up our time in a word of prayer. Well, Father, it is so great to be here today. And God, we thank you not only for motherhood and for all the mothers and all the grandmothers. We thank you for our mothers because every one of us, whether we are a mother or not, every one of us had a mother. And in some cases, that evokes a lot of pain and a lot of heartbreak on a day like this. Others of, of us, it's a, it's a time of great celebration. Nevertheless, Father, we thank you so much for loving us, for being here with us today, for, for drawing us here today. And Father, I, one thing that we want to celebrate, one thing we want to lift up today are, are, are the women uh, in our church, all the ladies in our church, young and old, and in, all in between. And I ask God... we. Pastor Greg and I know what we're made of. We're just, 
guys, sinful guys, and God, we just are honored by the, the fact that you would allow us to come and preach and teach your word. And I pray that you would help us to do so with clarity. I pray that your Holy Spirit would infuse us and infuse our words with power. And I pray that you would speak to every one of us, whether we're female or whether we're male, whether we're a man or woman, I pray that you would speak to us very clearly today about truly about the ideal woman. So thank you, Father. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, so let's get into this, this chapter, Proverbs 10, uh, start, uh, Proverbs 31, starting at verse 10. Uh, you know, my, my daughter, some of you guys know her by name. Her name is Karis, five years old. And uh, I, I love that a lot of times I'll pick up Karis and we'll be driving in the car. And she'll be sitting in the back seat and she'll just start talking to herself. And, and recently she's just talking out loud and she goes, some, it goes something like this. She goes, A, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. B, B, believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved, Acts 16.31. C, children, obey your parents for this is right, Ephesians 6, verse 1. And she'll just go on, A, B, C, D, E. And I, and I love it because the school she's going to, they're teaching the children how to remember God's words using the ABCs. Brilliant, brilliant. And I love it because this isn't a new practice. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10 through 31 is actually a poem. It's an acrostic that takes the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, starting with Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, all the way to Tav, the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And with each letter, it's giving a description of the ideal woman. What, what verse 10 calls the woman of excellence. So look at verse 10. This is Aleph. This is the first letter. It says, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. And, and so we see that it was an acrostic and it was probably done this way for the very same reason. So that it could be memorized and recited. In fact, you know, Proverbs 31, a lot of times is used as a, a passage for women right? This is guidelines on how you should live as if it were addressed to women. But, but keep in mind that this was originally written for a man. The target audience was a man, like Pastor Gary said, a mother to her son. And traditionally, it's become actually a song or a poem that Jewish men would memorize and sing to their wives every Sabbath, before every Sabbath meal, which is a weekly thing. And so even till today, modern days, Jewish men will sing Proverbs 31 to their wives. Now, here's the question. What is worth singing over? Well, write this down. Here's the first thing we learned. The ideal woman is a, uh, has a heart for her husband. The ideal woman has a heart for her husband. If you have the Baywatch that you received when you came in or you have the app, we have an outline for you guys. We'd love for you guys to follow along. But that's the first thing. She has a heart for her husband. Such a big heart that he can't help but sing over her. Verse 28, which is toward the end of the poem, it says this, Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. He rises up as well and praises her. Wise, I want to ask you, does your husband sing over you? Maybe not literally, but does his heart just leap and sing over you? What would make a man sing over his woman? Well, Verse 11 and 12 kind of give us reasons why he would do so. Look what verse 11 says. It says, the heart of her husband trusts in her, 
and he will have no lack of gain. The NIV puts it, he has full confidence in her. He trusts her. He has confidence in her that as long as she is by his side or she's got his back, he will lack no gain. In other words, he's gaining. He's winning in life as long as she's here by my side. As long as she's got my back, I'm winning. How do I know that when, when my wife is behind my back, she's not stabbing me in the back? She's not talking behind my back? She's not slandering me behind my back? How do I know that I can have confidence with her? Well, go on in verse 12. It says, because he knows this, he has confidence that she does him good and not harm all the days of her life. In other words, I know that my wife is there and she's there to help me and not to hurt me. I know that she's there to fan the flame within me and not to quench the fire that God's put there. I know that she's in my corner, not backing me into the corner to the point of defeat, but she's in my corner cheering me on, fighting with me, fighting for me, and praying for my victory. God has placed the the ideal woman in our lives to do such a thing. You know, a story is told of a former president and the first lady, his wife, they were on vacation and they're doing a road trip and they're traveling through different cities and they stop at a particular gas station because they needed gas. And it turned out to their surprise that the gas station attendant pumping their gas was the first lady's old boyfriend from back in high school. What a sight for the president. This is great. And as, as that old boyfriend is pumping their gas, he finishes it off, he tops it off, and as they're leaving the gas station, he leans over to his wife quite boastfully. He says, hey, just want to let you know, if you married that guy, you would have been married to a gas station attendant instead of the president of the United States. She leans over, she says, I don't think so. If I was married to that guy, he'd be the president of the United States. <laughs> and I, I don't know if it's an urban legend or not. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But the point is well taken. We recognize, we all recognize that, that ladies, you have tremendous potential and you have tremendous leverage to either make or break your husband. And what a, what a great privilege you have, ladies, that, that you have in you the, what it takes. You have leverage to unleash the potential that God has created in the man that he has placed in your life. That he has God-given potential and God-given traits and, and gifts and abilities to fulfill God's task here on this earth. And you can unleash that. You can unlock that. But it's also a great responsibility when you realize that you could be the one to hinder that. You're, you, you could be the one to, to put out that that flame, or that fire. In verse 23, it goes on later in the poem. It says, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. In other words, this this man, he has this reputation, right? Because back then in the ancient city, all the business that would be conducted by the businessmen and the elders would be at the city gates. And so it says that this man, he has a reputation. He's probably successful. He's respected. They know him. But remember, this poem isn't about the man. So this isn't a random verse just lifting up this man for his success and his reputation. What's the implication? Well, this poem is exalting the ideal woman, the the woman of excellence. 
So the implication is that she has so much to do with the fact that he is known in the gates and he's celebrated and he's respected. She has a huge role to play in his success. He is there. He didn't get there by himself. He got there because he has a woman of excellence by his side. She is the ideal woman. We, you know, a lot of times we ask ourselves the question, what on, what on earth am I here for? Like, what's my purpose in this life? That's a great question to ask. But the woman of excellence, the ideal woman won't, won't stop there. She'll keep asking questions. And, and she'll also ask, what on earth is he here for? Not, what on earth is he here for? It's like, what on earth is he here for? God, what did you create him? Why did you place him in, in, in my life and on, on this earth? What potential does he have? She will seek that. Then she will ask more questions. How can I do what I have in me to help him unleash that potential and make an impact for God in this world and in this lifetime? Am I helping him or am I harming him? And so here's the challenge to you, women of excellence. I know there's a lot of you in here. This room is full of you, ladies of excellence. I want to ask you, does your husband trust you? Like, does he have confidence in you? That you, you have been placed in his life by God to help him and not to hinder him, to do what God has designed him to do. And, and I say that because, you know what? You have God-given potential as well. You have a task. You have purpose. And, and I believe that if he feels that, that he has your back and you're doing everything to help unleash his potential, he's going to want to do the same for you. He's going to want to help you live out the purpose that God has given for you. And maybe you're not married. That's okay. I, this speaks to all of us. Who, who has God put in your life that's significant? And may, maybe it's your, your mother or your father. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your supervisor, your coworker. Maybe it's your best friend. Maybe it's your accountability partner. Who significant has God put in your life? And how can you be asking that question, how can I help this person and not harm this person? How can I unleash the potential that God has put in that person? When, when Pastor Gary invited me here to South Bay Community Church to, to be a pastor on staff, I was excited. Right, because my heart longed for full-time ministry, but I wasn't, I've never been in full-time ministry. I'd been working 10 years out of college, just secular jobs, working in the world, women's designer jeans, and in the oil industry, and doing all this stuff. I wanted to be preaching the word of God full-time. So when he invited me, um, I, I was just, I was ready to go. So I go to my wife, I say, hey, Monica, Pastor Gary invited us to come on, on board. And she goes, no. <laughs> She's like, no, it's not happening. And I was frustrated, and I couldn't help but think, that that's so selfish of you. Don't you know what God has created me to do? And, and there are all these reasons. The timing wasn't right, and we didn't want to be uprooted from the, the spiritual home we grew up in. We both went to the same church ever since we were little children. We were there for, like, almost 20 years. She wasn't thrilled about being a pastor's wife. She didn't want that for herself. And so we, we, we went back and forth, back and forth, multiple conversations, and I just gave up. And I said to God, God, I, I, I give up. I tried to move the mountain, and she's not budging. You got to move this mountain. I said, I, I vowed. I said, I'm not going to say anything more. God, it's, it's on you. A year goes by, and that day came. That day came where, where she comes to me. You know, I didn't say anything to her for almost a year now, and she goes, okay. 
Now we can go. And I, 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 I couldn't believe it, and I was so stoked. I call, called Pastor Gary. Eventually, we came on. But, but here's what I realized, that she wasn't against me. And we talked about this on Friday as we were preparing this message. She, she wasn't against me. She knew that this is what God called me to. This is no, she knew this is what God made me for. She just didn't believe the timing was right for, for our family. And she was waiting on the Lord, and she said, when the Lord said it was time, then she said, okay, now we can go. And I thank God for her because in, in, in so many ways, I look back, and I see that God has used her in my life to, to help me make good decisions. There, there have been other ministry opportunities that if she wasn't there, I would have recklessly went forward and probably would have driven myself in the ground. I would have been burnt out, maybe never to do ministry again. And at times, she has said no, and then at times, she has said yes, and I have seen this woman of excellence that God has used in my life to help provide some wisdom. And so I thank God. And so the ideal woman, the woman of excellence, has a heart for her husband. Yeah, they, they, that's such a great story. I remember that whole thing and how, how crushed you were. But uh, when, you, when you hear, you know, in hindsight, you look back and you think, wow, they really are a better half. I mean, they really know. And, and God can use every one of you in the same way in the life of other people. I don't know if you've heard uh, of the show called The Real Housewives of New York. It's kind of a spinoff of The Real Housewives of Orange County. I, I don't even know anything about the show, but apparently it's been around for, for quite a while. I think it's on one of the cable channels. And it's a reality show about real housewives. And I look at that and I go, that's unreal. I mean, that's not real housewives, right? I mean, they, don't, they probably get pampered and they have their own... Uh, helpers and all that kind of stuff, but um, to give you an idea what the show is about, and I wouldn't recommend that you watch it, but to give you an idea what the show is about, let me just read a, a question that Vanity Fair asked about the show last month. All right, here's what, here's what they asked. Put it right under here for you. How has the, Re the Real Housewives of New York managed to survive 10 seasons of catfights, wine swigging, backstabbing, and man-sharing? If that won't give you an idea what the show's about, nothing will, right? So you don't need to watch this show. But, but it's kind of sad. I mean, it, it's a trashy show. Uh, and sadly, that's where our culture is at today. That's kind of how we, we view women today and how we think they're supposed to function. And that's a far cry from the ideal woman of excellence that's described in Proverbs 31. Such a vastly different description. So here's the second point. The first point was the, the ideal woman has a heart for her husband. Write this one down. The, the, the ideal woman also has a heart for her family. Right? She has a heart for her family. And we see this in a bunch of verses starting in verse 13. So let's pick it up. And by the way, you know, that I, I just love that, the fact that it's an acrostic, that each sentence, each verse begins with that Hebrew alphabet. So we start in verse 13. This would be the third or fourth Hebrew alphabet. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold a spindle. You can stop right there. All right, in verse 15, take out, take out a pen and circle the word household. And I'll come back to that in a second. Circle the word household. So here's the ideal woman. The ideal woman, she is a tireless worker. She is a hard worker. Verse 13, she works with her hands. 
Verse 14, she brings food from afar, which means she travels a long distance to get food for her family. And that had to be difficult back in those distances. You were talking about 25, 2600 years ago. No Uber, no Lyft, no cars, no self-driving cars. She had to walk to get her food. Verse 15 says she got up early in the morning while it was still dark to provide for her family. Verse 16 says she was a businesswoman. And she was a farmer. She'd plant her own food. Verse 17 says she was strong, that she was strong. Now, let me just camp on this, this thought for just a second. This, this idea, verse 17, if you look at it again, speaks of a physical strength, but it also speaks of a, of a constitutional strength. Uh, the constitution that, that she, was a, she had a strong constitution, if you, if you get what I mean. Let me kind of give you an idea of what, what I'm talking about here. See, I believe that that, that uh, women are stronger than men. I know that my wife is stronger than me. Now, she's not stronger than me physically. I think I'm a little stronger than her physically. But, but constitutionally, I mean, she is stronger than me. Now, for example, you know, when Cheryl was pregnant with our first child, I said to myself, I was so excited to be a dad. I said to myself, man, I'm so excited to have this baby. I can't believe I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to wake up every night with Cheryl and help her feed our baby Kylie. I'm going to wake up every night, every hour on the hour, every two hours, every two and a half hours. I'm going to wake up with her every night. Well, let me tell you something. That didn't last for more than one night because the next day I was wiped out. I was destroyed. I was ruined. I couldn't do it. I mean, you know, by the time you, the baby cries at midnight and by the time you feed her and I'm just there and I'm not feeding her, Cheryl is feeding her. And by the time we burp her and all this kind of, by the time we change her diaper and we said her get her back to sleep, it's now almost three o'clock and it's time to wake up and do it all over again. Right. And, and it's like now it's three o'clock and then that's six o'clock. And then it's and I was I was wiped out and I said, I can't do this. So the next night I just slept through the night. And it, but Cheryl. She was the mom. She just had to keep going and going and going. If, if Kylie, if it was up to me to feed Kylie, she would have starved to death. She would have never made it into, in, into toddlerhood. And, and I don't know how moms do it. Well, I know how they do it because they have a stronger constitution than men. And then when the kids get sick, I mean, it's the moms that stay up with them all night long. I don't know how they do it. They just stay up all night long. And you can think about your own moms and how they did that for you. If you remember that, they did that for you. And uh, it's amazing. They're stronger than us. And, and the worst part, and Cheryl's stronger than me. And the worst part is she knows it. She knows she's stronger than me. You know, after last weekend's service, I was so moved by the, our two missionaries that we had up here. But, but uh, we had a chance to have dinner with them. And, and, and afterwards, uh, I said to Cheryl, I said, you know what? We've been to Japan. We should, we should go to Guinea. We should go to Guinea, Africa. Pastor Joshua described how his, he's in a tribe. 10 hours away from the capital city in the middle of nowhere. There's no electricity and no running water. I said, we should go there. You know what she said to me? She's been to Uganda five times. She said to me, you couldn't handle it. <laughs> she, she really said that. She really said that. And I, and, and I said to her, you're probably right. I'm just going to go to Japan. So, uh, so I'm, and so I'm leaving this Thursday, by the way. So you just pray for that trip that it's a vision trip to see what else we can do there. But King Lemuel, King Lemuel's mom said that the ideal woman dressed herself in strength. She's strong. She's physically strong because of all the work she does, but she's constitutionally strong. And verse 18 says she works all night long. It's an indication of how strong she is. And in verse 19, she makes her own clothes. But here's the key question, right, in this passage. The key question. 
And the question is, why? Or who? Why does she do this? And who does she do it for? Well, I had you circled it. It was the word household. She does it for her household. In other words, she does all this for her family. It's all about her family. Take a look at verse 21 and 22. It says here, she's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple, fine linen and purple. And again, verse 21, circle the word household. There it is again. And this passage tells us that she's not concerned when it gets cold because she makes bed coverings and clothes for her family. And in verse 13, we saw that she uses wool. She uses wool to make clothes for, for the winter months because wool keeps you warm. And then she uses linen to make clothes for the summer months because it keeps you cool. And the key question is, why? Who does she do this for? What's well, her household? She cares for her family. It's all about her family. She loved her family more than she loved herself. And then let's look at this final section, verse 24. It says, she makes linen garments and sells them. And she delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done it excellently, but you surpass them all. Verse 27, will you circle the word household? There it is again. Right? In addition to the fact that she makes clothes for her family, she makes a little of extra so she can sell it to generate an income for her family. Just a little bit of extra money here and there will help the family. She's always thinking of ways to help them. She speaks. When she speaks, she speaks wisdom. Flows off of her lips. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. And verse 27, 27 tells us that she works hard. She is not lazy. She's not a lazy woman. And again, the key, the key question is why? And who does she do this for? Well, you know the answer. It's her household. It is her family. And that's why her children rise up to bless her. And her husband praises her in verse 28. And so this is the ideal woman. She has a heart for her family. She has a heart for her family. When I say family, family is not just your children. Your family is not just your children. Your family is your mom and your dad, your brother and your sister, your uncle and your aunt, your grandfather and your grandmother. Your, your, your family is your cousin. I mean, your family is everyone. So, so we all have family. And let me just make something real clear. This passage is not about how the ideal woman, if you want to be the ideal woman, you've got to sew your own clothes. And you've got to grow your own food. And you've got to start your own little side business. That's not what this te- is telling us. That's not what this is teaching us. You've got to do that to be an ideal woman. No, the key to understanding this passage, and the entire chapter for that matter, is, is knowing who she does it for. First she does it for her husband, and then she does it for her family. And that's why she's the ideal woman. The ideal woman has a heart for her family. That's the takeaway truth here. She is selfless. She is sacrificial. She is hardworking. You know, as I think back on my own life, I can honestly say that, um, that that was my mom. Growing up, that was my mom. My mom had a heart for, for her husband, my dad. She had a heart for her two sons, me and my brother Larry. And even at the age of 92 today, I think she's going to be here shortly. Um, at the age of 92, she always asks me, almost every day, I see her almost every day, every day, and she'll say to me, are you sleeping okay? How are the kids doing? How are you and Cheryl doing? You know, what do you need? Bring your clothes over and I'll iron them for you. Do you need any money? Yes, I do need money. I always, I always say that. No, I, I, I don't. But, and today, you know, now that she's, she's past, she's 92 years old, she's past her prime, um, 
it is, it is my wife who is the ideal woman. It is, it is Cheryl who is the ideal woman in my life. And I can tell you that she has a heart for me and she has a heart for our children and nearly everything she does. And I did, it took me a long time to get this, but nearly everything she does, she does for me. She does it for our family. And I can honestly say, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. I mean, she is that woman that's always in my corner instead of backing me into a corner. Sometimes I feel like I'm backed into a corner, but that's never the case. She's always in my corner. And so good to know that. And here's the other thing I want you to know. The application of this truth, that the ideal woman has a heart for a family, the application of this truth is universal. You don't have to be a wife or a mother to have a heart for your family. You, you, you can be a man, you can be a husband, a father, a grandfather, you can be a single person, you can be a teenager, you don't have to have any children at all, and you can have a heart for your family. And so I hope that you'll take that with you, have a heart for your family, but you say, wait a minute, I don't have any family. Well, that might be true, I've actually met some people in our church who don't have any family. For whatever reason, maybe their, their family's just out of their lives, or maybe their families have all passed on now. But some, there are some people who don't have any blood relatives whatsoever. Maybe they're all on the East Coast or in another country. But if you're a Christ follower, you do have a family. Because the church is the family of God. The Bible speaks of the church as being a family. And if, you're, and if we're all Christ followers, that means, uh, you know, Greg is my brother in Christ. And Lisa Mikami here is my sister in Christ. And and. On and on. Vicki Kale is my sister in Christ. Mark Anderson is my brother in Christ. And we're all family. And so we can all lo love each other as, as a family. We all have family. You know, early last year, we got a call here at the church. I think it was in January, late January. We got a, we got a call here from a lady named Jeanette. She's calling from Oklahoma. Never met her, never been to our church, just called us out of the blue, just kind of looked us up on, online, found our church, and she called wanting to know if somebody from our church would go and visit her 78-year-old mother who was ailing in a nursing home here in Torrance. And so when one of our ladies, Annie Mason, heard about the call to our office, she said, I'll go, I'll go see her. And so she said, great, here's the information but before she went to see Jeanette's mother, she called Jeanette in Oklahoma just to get a little bit more information about her mother. Tell me a little bit about your mom. And one of the things she said was that she learned that they were kind of estranged. They, were, they kind of had a strained relationship. And the other thing she learned was that Jeanette said, my mom doesn't know Christ. She says, more than anything, and she's not in good health, more than anything, I want her to know Christ. That's why I called someone at the church and armed with that information on February the 7th. After we got the call, Annie went over to see Sonia Hunt for the very first time. And when Annie got to her bedside and started speaking to her, she told her that Jeanette, had, her daughter Jeanette, had asked her to come and visit her. She said Sonia started crying. Well, that day, that very day, one thing led to another in their conversation. Annie told Sonia about Jesus, and right then and there, Sonia gave her heart to the Lord for the very first time. After that, Annie went to see Sonia almost twice a week, almost twice a week, and, and, and that was because she had become family. She was her new found sister in Christ. She couldn't just say, okay, nice knowing you and, and take off. That was her new, her new sister in Christ. And whenever Annie went to see Sonia, she would read her the Bible, and she would pray for her, and she would sing worship songs to her. In April, it was her birthday. Annie took her some flowers and a cake, and they sang happy birthday to her. Here's a photo. This is her, her husband, Charles. 
And then on June the 16th, several months later, on June the 16th, 2017, Sonia went to heaven. Thanks in big part to a woman of excellence, the ideal woman, Annie Mason. She has a heart for her family. Her family, her daughter, lives in Norway or some place like that. Um, but her family, this is our family. This is, her, this is our family, the church, right? And she has a big heart for her family. So the ideal woman has a heart for her husband, a heart for her family. And as we saw from these passages that Pastor Gary just took us through, I mean, she's obviously industrious. She's hardworking. Uh, she goes to work, wakes up early in the morning for her family. But we see that her heart doesn't just go to her husband and her family, but transcends beyond to the community around her. So would you guys write this down? The ideal woman has a heart for her community. She has a heart for her community. And I love verse 20. If you would read that with me, it says, She opens her hand to the poor, and she reaches out her hands to the needy. She reaches her hand, uh, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches her hands to the needy. And I love that kind of picture. We, we see two parts in this. She opens her hand to those who come to her, needing assistance, needing help. Her, her hands are open, right? Meaning that she's not tight-fisted. In the Bible, that's a way to say she's open-handed, she's generous to those who come looking for assistance. But then the second part of that verse says, not only does she open her hands to those who come to her, she reaches out her hand to those in need. So there's a sense of, if you come to me, I'm going to help you, but I'm not just going to wait for you to come. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to look for people who need my assistance. She's reaching out to them. There's a lady in our church who, this past week, she stopped by our offices, and she came to my office, and put an apple fritter right there on my donut, knowing that apple fritters are my greatest weakness. That, that is my favorite donut. And she came in and, and gave it to me. She said she had an extra one. Um, but she, only, she had an extra one only because she just came from the donut shop. She said she was in this plaza, and there were these, uh, there was a group of Spanish-speaking men just hanging out together and talking. She could hear they were speaking Spanish, and she thought to herself, I have Spanish gospel tracks in my car. I, I could give them these and she thought about how she could do it, and she, she thought she might just get rejected if she just gave them tracks. So she thought, I'm going to go buy them donuts. So she goes into the donut shop, buys a bunch of donuts, and hands them donuts along with the gospel track. How can you say no to a donut, right? So she, she's handing them donuts with the gospel tracks and just blessing them and leaving them with the gospel in Spanish. And I love what she's doing there. She's taking what she's been given to help go and feed people physically and spiritually. She's taking what God has previously given her, both material blessing, but also spiritual blessing, and handing it out to whoever she can hand it out to. Now, the Bible teaches us, if you uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm going to show you this principle that the Bible teaches, that sometimes God blesses us materially, not so much to reward us for our good works, but to equip us to do good works. Look what verse 10 says, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10. It says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So, so realize that God blesses us first so that we can go and bless others in return. 
material blessing, I'll say it again, material blessing isn't only reward for our good works. A lot of times we, th we think if I do good things, God's going to reward me materially. No, he doesn't just give us blessing to reward us. He gives us blessing to equip us, right? He, he, he pours his blessing upon us so that we would go. He gives us seed first so that we can now go sow. He gives us bread first so that now we can go feed. And so verse 11, the uh, next verse, it says this. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And so maybe when you experience success in this life and you make a profit and you have material blessing, maybe it's not so much self-made success, man-made success, as much as it is God-given opportunity to bless Right, because the foolish person will look at their lives and they'll say, look at the work of my hands. Look at what my hands have achieved. And yet the wise person is going to say, look at what God's hand has poured upon me. Look, look what God has open-handedly given me. God is enriching me to be rich toward others. So who can I go bless now? Who can I reach out to in hopes that they will give thanks to God? in hopes that they will give praise and glory to God. I believe the ideal woman, the woman of excellence in Proverbs 31, she's one who gets that. Like she gets it. Yes, she works hard. Yes, she profits. Yes, she's gained success for herself. But she's realizing that these blessings that I've, I've earned and I've achieved, they haven't ultimately come from the work of my hands. They've come from the open hand of God. And now I'm going to reach out to those who are in need. All the blessings that you receive, all the blessings that you receive from him are so that now you can go bless others to point to him. And so how have you been blessed? How has God blessed you? The ideal woman has a heart for her husband and a heart for her family, and she's going to bless them as much as she can, but she's going to go beyond her immediate context and look to her community. Are you looking beyond your household? Thank you, thank you, moms, thank you, wives, for all that you've done. Everything Pastor Gary has mentioned, you, you do all these things so well for, for your husband and your family. Now look beyond, as, as many examples um, we've seen in this church have done, but look beyond to the community that God has placed you in. By the way, I just want to say this. As soon as our message is done here today, after Pastor Greg uh, prays, don't don't leave, okay? Stick around for another five minutes at least because we have a beautiful presentation we want you to watch. You know, five years ago in an intercultural communications class at a university in Florida, Florida Atlantic University, the, the instructor, a guy named DeAndre Poole, asked his class to take out a piece of paper, participate in this exercise, take out a piece of paper, write the name of Jesus on it, place the paper on the floor and step on it. That's what he asked his class to do, just kind of like this right here. And everybody complied. Everybody did what the professor, the teacher asked them to do, except for one student. That was this kid right here, Ryan Rotella, who said he couldn't do it because of his faith, and he was interviewed by the media for it. For it. And I want to ask you this. I mean, if you were asked to participate in that kind of an exercise, write the name of Jesus on a piece of paper, put it on the floor and step on it, what would you do? What would you do? I, I'm a, I imagine that Ryan considered, at least for a second, what would happen if he didn't do what the teacher asked him to do? He probably thought about that. I mean, if he didn't comply, would the teacher, the professor ding him? 
Uh, would he be ridiculed by his classmates? What exactly would happen? Well, sure enough, several days later, when the associate dean of students, who is higher up in the administration than just a teacher, when she found out that he didn't comply with the professor's request, she suspended him from school. That's a true story. And, it, of course, it sparked a national outrage that she would do that, and she was fired as well. But, but Ryan wasn't too concerned. Ryan wasn't too concerned. Instead, he was more concerned about what God would think if he, in fact, had stomped on that piece of paper with his son's name on it. He was more concerned about what God thought than what the professor thought. You see, maybe Ryan, he feared God, but maybe Ryan was familiar with his verse. Let me read it to you. Hebrews 10, 29. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant, in other words, Jesus' blood, that sanctified them and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? You know, this idea that of, of trampling underfoot was a gesture back in the Middle East of, of, of showing contempt to someone. So if you really want to insult someone, you get your shoe and you just throw it at them. Because the idea is you want to trample under your foot that person and it shows contempt. Well, that was kind of the idea here. That when someone tramples underfoot the name of Jesus or the person of Jesus, you know, the question that's asked here is how much more severely do you think they will be punished? So I'm not going to take this reverse apart, but it was a good question. And maybe Ryan was familiar with this idea, this, this verse, that suggests that you ought not to do that. And so Ryan feared God. He feared God, not in the sense of we fear spiders or heights, but he feared God in the sense of revering him. He revered God for who he was. He revered him for the holy and awesome God that he was. Put another way, Ryan was more concerned about God than he was about his professor. And the fear of God is characteristic of the, of the woman of excellence in Proverbs 31. She has a deep and abiding reverence for Almighty God. And in a manner of speaking, she has a heart for God. She loves God because, you know, and you can write that one down, the, the ideal woman has a heart for God. You know, verse 30 is, is where we find this, uh, nearly at the end of the, of the chapter. But it says here, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. In other words, we live in a culture that says charm and beauty are everything. This is it. You got to be beautiful. You got to be handsome. You got to be buff. You got to be gorgeous. Right? And that's what, that's what most of the 15 leading men uh, said they were looking for in the ideal woman. They have beautiful black hair, or they got to have beautiful teeth, or they've got to got to be someone like Nicole King. King you know, got to got they got to have Nicole Kingman's laughter, or Julia Roberts' personality, or Michelle Pfeiffer's beauty. But the Bible says that charm and beauty are deceitful and vain. It's empty and it's shallow, but not so with the fear of the Lord. You know, there's a sense in which we should all. Be fearful of God. You know, there's a sense we should be fearful of God because we're sinners, right? But, and, and God hates sin. And the Bible says that one day we will all have to stand before God. Everyone in this room and everyone outside this room will one day have to stand before Almighty God and give an account of our lives to Him. We find that in Romans 14, 12. We just put it up here for you. So that each 
one of us will give an account of himself to God. That's just the way things work. That's the way things work. We all have to answer to someone in this life and in the next life. In this life, you have to answer. We have to answer to our wives. You have to answer to your boss. You have to answer to your teacher. You have to answer to the law. If you're driving too fast down the, on the, down the freeway or on the street, you're going to answer to the law. And, and one day we'll, we will all have to answer to God for the way we live our lives. And the bad news is when, when it's our t- turn, when it's your turn to stand before Almighty God and give an account of your life to Him, you will be found guilty. You will be found guilty because we will be found guilty as charged before God because He is holy and we are not. And we all fall short of His glory. But the good news is God poured out his wrath upon his son. He punished his son for our sins so that if you put your faith and trust in Christ, when you appear before God one day, you won't be found guilty. You will be found, you will be declared innocent and you will be set free and you will be saved from your sins. If you think about it, the cross was the greatest display of God's wrath, and because of the cross, we are free. We are innocent. We are not found guilty. We are not condemned. You won't be judged. And that's why it's so important, important to, to believe what Christ did for you. Put your faith and trust in him, and you will be found innocent, and you will go to heaven one day. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus. And that's the reason why we don't have to be afraid of God. You don't have to be afraid of him whatsoever. There's nothing to be afraid of. And so this, this phrase, the fear of God, is not about being afraid of God. It is about having this reverential awe of God because of who he is. Being in awe of him because of who he is. And that ought to impact the way we live our lives. So the ideal woman, that's who the ideal woman is. She she has this heart for God because she fears the Lord. And I submit that there's nothing more beautiful than a wife, than a mother, a grandmother, a young lady, a young teenager who fears the Lord. Nothing more beautiful than that. Because when she has a heart for God, her inner beauty just radiates and overflows out of her and transcends her physical appearance. Once again, this doesn't apply just to women. The, the, the truth here is, is universal. It applies to men as well. There's nothing more attractive than a man, whether he's young or whether he's old, whether he's in between. There's nothing more attractive than a man who is on his knees, who is reading his Bible, than a man who fears the Lord. Amen. So, so that, that's Proverbs 31, and I hope you really hide that in your heart, that the ideal woman, according to the word, has a heart for her husband, has a heart for her family, has a heart for her community, and all of that is radiating from her heart that is for the Lord. And so, we, you know, Pastor Gary and I, we, we both agree, it, it's got to start there, having a, that heart for the Lord, one that's devoted to him and lives in fear reverent fear of him. Uh, last, this past Friday, just a couple nights ago, my, my family and, and, uh, and I, we watched The Greatest Showman again. I don't know if you guys have watched The Greatest Showman, but uh, for, for Monica and myself, this is one of our favorite movies. Our kids sat through the whole thing, totally glued, fixed on. They both 
concluded at the end of it that this was now their favorite movie. They both decided. So you should watch this. Bring your kids to watch it. But you watch this movie, and I mean, I love everything about it. The, the cinematography, the choreography, the singing, the dancing, the acting, just overall, just an entertaining movie. There's one thing that I don't like about it, Hugh Jackman. I mean, I love Hugh Jackman, but so does my wife. And so she watches this, and every time she watches it, Monica goes off, oh, Hugh Jackman, he's so talented. He could dance, and he can sing, and he can act, and he's so buff, and she's going off. And then she remembers that I'm in the room next to her, and she looks at me, and she's reminded that Hugh Jackman is so buff, and he can act, and he could dance, and, and just on and on and on. And, and one thing that she loves and admires about Hugh Jackman is his love for his wife that he truly loves his wife. When he speaks of her, you can hear that, that beauty, as Pastor Gary mentioned, goes so deep to the, to the inner heart. In fact, uh, Pastor Gary opened this message. He shared with you some quotes from 50 leading men, 50 leading influential men and their take on the ideal woman. And, you know, we were talking Friday. This is kind of like an isolated incident. He said, you know, I was going through this list, and they're all really superficial. He says, there's only one that really stood out to me, one of substance. Well, guess who that was from? Hugh Jackman, right? So like, so Hugh Jackman is this man of stuff. So I looked up what Hugh Jackman said, and here's what he wrote about the ideal woman. He said, I run into people, really powerful, big people, who say, congrats to you, but your wife is really one of the most talented. By the way, she was an actress herself. She gave it up, um, or she, she kind of held back so that Hugh can do what he did. And every time I hear that, it reminds me of the sacrifice she's made, her selflessness, her love, and what she's done for the kids. We always made family a priority, but I'm acutely aware every day that actually when it comes down to sacrifices, Deb, his wife, has shouldered most of those. In fact, I was telling her right now, you need to get back to work because you're just too good to waste that talent. Everyone needs to see it. She had given up so much of her own career because she saw the potential in her husband to help him become the actor he's become and to help raise their two adopted children so that they could become the human beings they've become. She's made sacrifices. And so we see in, in Hugh Jackman, who, by the way, is a professed Christian, he says he, he devotes and dedicates all his performances to God. He says he surrenders himself. That's his words in Parade Magazine. But we see that for him, that, that beauty goes way deeper than the outward appearance, and it goes way beyond age. She's actually 13 years older than he is. This is a picture of Hugh and his wife. Um, but you know he loves her. And what he loves is her heart that's devoted to, to her husband, to her family, and she's a huge activist to the community beyond. And, and I, I want to say it's incredibly hard. Ladies, it's incredibly hard. Men, it's incredibly hard to have a, a heart for your spouse, a heart for your family, a heart for your community, unless you have a heart for the Lord. And I don't know what drives Hugh, Hugh Jackman's wife, but, but I'll tell you this. Like the Proverbs 31 woman, if you would have a heart devoted to the Lord, and you're sold out for him, and you live in fear of him, then out of you will be a heart that's poured out for your spouse, your family, and your community. Amen?
Now, without, hey, let's, let's close our eyes, and I want to um, spend some time with you in prayer. And I'm, in a moment, I want to just honor uh, the mothers and the grandmothers and, and just the women of excellence among us. But before that, I want to give an invitation. Because may, maybe you are invited here. Maybe because it's mothers that you're invited here. Or maybe you're just randomly invited by a friend or coworker. But, but it's not random. God wanted you here. And so I want, I want to invite you at this time to devote your heart to the Lord. Maybe for the first time. The Bible says that, that if you believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord, and you believe that he rose from the dead because he died on the cross for you to cover your sins, to forgive you your sins, and he rose from the grave to prove that he has the power to give life. The Bible says that, that you can be saved you can have new life in him and I want to invite you to devote your heart now give your heart to the Lord now and ask him to continue to grow and build that heart and it's just an expression of faith so I'm going to pray I'm going to pray out loud I just ask that you would pray this in your heart would you join me God I offer you my heart thank you for giving me a physical heart that pumps and allows me to live but Lord, I know that life goes beyond this life. And so I want to live this life devoting my heart to you. Help me to live in fear of you, reverent fear. Knowing that if I believe by faith, I can have this relationship with you, Lord. And Lord, from this new heart that you're giving me, help me to pour out. Help me to pour out to those in my immediate context to the community beyond. I thank you, Lord. Thank you for coming into my life. And Lord, I, I want to take this time to just honor the mothers and the grandmothers, the ladies, the women of excellence among us, even the, the young children and teens who, who are here worshiping with us, Lord, that they would grow up too to be women of excellence that their hearts would shine and radiate from the inside out. And for the men, help us to love them well. Help us to honor them daily, not just in May, but daily. Help us to honor them, to sing praises over them on a regular basis because of the qualities they demonstrate and Christ that they show. So bless them, God. May your favor be upon them. God, we pray that you would richly bless them more and more each day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.